This is a Federal News Network podcast. Few images of Americana are more widely recognized than the giant presidential sculptures at Mount Rushmore. But there's much more to running a big national park than keeping viewing walls in good order. So we're pleased to welcome the new superintendent of Mount Rushmore National Park, Michelle Wheatley. Ms. Wheatley, good to have you on. Thank you. It's great to be here. And I confess I have not yet made it to Mount Rushmore in all the years that I've wanted to go there, but there is much more than those heads in the little platform where you view it from. Tell us about the scope of the park. Sure. So Mount Rushmore National Memorial is comprised of 1,278 acres located in the Black Hills in southwestern South Dakota. The memorial commemorates the values of our country and the ideals of democracy through the sculpted faces of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, and Theodore Roosevelt. The sculpted faces are a unique work of art and impressive engineering achievement that communicates the story of 150 years of American history. And the memorial also um, sits in an area of South Dakota that is both incredibly beautiful and also has a long history of reverence and use by Native Americans who came here before all of us. And besides the faces, the memorial is situated in and surrounded by a forested hillsides and beautiful vertical granite rock outcrops that provide stunning views, which can be enjoyed from foot or by vehicle. The memorial is home to all kinds of wildlife, including deer, mountain goats, marmots, mountain lion. The scenery in the memorial is some of the best in the Black Hills of South Dakota. We have a wonderful visitor center, bookstores, gift shops, several outdoor viewing locations to see the sculptures. We have ranger-guided programs, junior ranger programs for kids, an interpretive trail. There's the Carver's Cafe dining facility that serves a variety of food. The cafe is operated by Zantera Travel Collections. One of the most popular choices is the Thomas Jefferson Vanilla Ice Cream, which was the first written recipe for ice cream in the United States. Relative to the big national parks, and I guess this is considered one of the big ones, where does it rank in annual visitors? So with annual visitors, the memorial receives over 2 million visitors a year and is the most visited national park unit in South Dakota. It's one of the most identifiable American icons. It's much lower down with some of the larger national parks, but it's definitely up there and has the highest visitation in South Dakota. Got it. And so what are the particular or unique challenges to being superintendent there? You know, it's truly an honor to have been selected for this position this is my fourth week in on the job, and so far there really hasn't been a typical day. For example, on my first day on the job, there was a wildland fire that was encroaching on the park's housing and um, was threatening some of our infrastructure. So I ended up evacuating those areas and closed the park on my first day on the job. So right now there's a great deal of planning going on behind the scenes in preparation of a busy tourism season and potentially preparing for an active wildland fire season. And then we also have the ongoing COVID-19 response planning to ensure the safety of you know, all of our employees, our partners, and our visitors, of course. And at the same time, you know, I'm working on addressing various ongoing administrative processes and then also getting to know our key stakeholders, community members, and working with them on various issues and ongoing projects. And does the park superintendent live in the park, or do you just go there and go to work every day like other people? I just go there to work every day. I have the pleasure of driving 20 miles. I live 
20 miles from the park in Custer, South Dakota, and it's a lovely drive to and from work every day. So it's really a pleasure to have that opportunity to drive to and from work. And what are the temperatures like out there in late April and early May? Oh, right now it's in the high 30s by this afternoon. It'll probably be in the low 50s. So we have some really beautiful spring days. It's cool. Still have between some spring conditions and still some winter conditions at this time of year. We still have Oh, probably three to four inches of snow in shaded areas, and the other areas are dry. Sure. We're speaking with Michelle Wheatley. She is the newly named superintendent of Mount Rushmore National Park. And this is a prestigious posting, I would imagine, in the Park Service. And you mentioned working with stakeholders on various issues. Who are the stakeholders, people that live in land that impinge on the park, or or you tell us? Um, They're both near and far. I mean, there's, there's a lot of interest in this park being so iconic. And so we have our other public land agencies. We have the state tourism. We have some of our other partners like Zantera, our concessionaire, as well as we have the Mount Rushmore Society, which is our fundraiser organization, and then our cooperative association as well. Yeah. So a lot of people feel like in some degree they have ownership in the park, huh? Not so much ownership, but just a great deal of interest and um, a lot of passion for protecting and and caring for these resources as well. And getting back to the sculpted heads for a moment, do they require maintenance at all, or are they just out there forever until an earthquake or something? No, we do have an ongoing monitoring program just to make sure that we don't have any cracks or any structural issues with the heads. So that's an ongoing process in the park. We have a type of a a monitoring system that actually will make us aware of that. We also have a technical team that goes up and checks on the heads. Yeah, are they like coated with varnish or anything to keep the rain from getting into the cracks? Um, You know, I'm still learning quite a bit about the park, but I do know there is some of that work that does go on. (laughs) All right. Well, when I get out there, I'll ask you in person one of these days. But uh, tell us a little bit about your own background, how you got into this work, and you have been at the National Park Service for for a few years now. Yeah. So I've spent the last 21 years of my career as a permanent employee uh, working for the National Park Service. I've been working for public land agencies for close to 25 years, but I'm very fond of the western United States, so I've tried to stay in just beautiful uh, landscape locations. Um, I've worked in eight different units of the National Park Service. I've been a superintendent for the last nine years, most recently at Jewel Cave National Monument, prior to that, Fluorescent Fossil Beds National Monument. I've done three different acting assignment roles, most recently at Wind Cave National Park, uh, Colorado National Monument, and Grand Coors Ranch. National Historic Site in Montana. And prior to becoming a superintendent, I served in a variety of visitor service type positions in one Yellowstone National Park for three years, Rocky Mountain National Park for five years, and then Colorado National Monument. I was there for eight years. And a great deal of my work has been working with gateway community partners, organizations, working with tribal leaders, and managing large-scale interpretive media projects, including special events and developing and presenting ranger-led educational programs for youth. I've been really passionate about working with youth as well. Do you get a chance to interact with visitors, and especially young visitors, in the course of a day? Do you step out of the office and wander around? Absolutely. That's one of the things I enjoy the most is interacting with visitors. It's just fantastic to be able to go out and interact with people and see how they're so excited to be here and really having a good time and here enjoying this beautiful park. And you sound like something of an outdoors person yourself. I am, definitely. 
All right. Michelle Wheatley is superintendent of Mount Rushmore National Park. Thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely. I hope you all come out and see us in the Black Hills. And if you're a big fan of national parks, this is a great place to be. Just within an hour of here, there's also Badlands National Park, Jewel Cave National Monument, and Wind Cave National Park. So we hope we see you soon. All right. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is to sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And and the idea that we don't have the human interaction, uh, which I think is very important when you think about the empathy that is a a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment, Shane, and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions. Uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision 
and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream, which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to, to fight for change. And that was, that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there have been so many other moments uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, 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 the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. A very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it, it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values, but the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream which we often define and think of his big I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute, I think, is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic, uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills. And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, 
but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet, or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't, don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of, of being a leader. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, 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 and so I think that's a lesson for me. If there was some advice and counsel I could give is to continue to do your work, but, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.